Subscribe to Black Virginia News at blackvirginianews.substack.com. This is Lauren Burke. This is episode 12 of the Black Virginia News podcast. Maurice Hawkins and I are going to go over some of the house races that we would expect will decide the majority in the Virginia House in 2024. You are listening to the podcast for Black Virginia News, the first and only platform that covers all of Black Virginia. from the RSLC, from our state caucuses, from my PAC and my office, and we are going to drive early voting, absentee ballots, and we're not going to be behind on election day. Yeah, we just saw a whiplash 360 on policy from the Republicans in Virginia on early voting. Unbelievable. They had been completely against early voting, and now suddenly they're for early voting. Then, of course, and this is really, you know, everybody thinks that the campaign starts at Labor Day. I think it starts when they start attacking Josh Cole. Joshua Cole, partisan politics over people, pushing the extreme Democrat agenda, higher taxes, violent criminals released on the streets, paying more for everyday items. <laughs> I mean, is this supposed to be comedy or is this supposed to be a serious? So how would any politician single-handedly be releasing criminals onto our street. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. And the idea that anyone thinks that these types of ads work, come on now. Okay, so this, uh, this is going to be uh, Maurice Hawkins and I talking about the races that we think are going to be close in the House, the ones that we believe are going to be the ones that will decide the majority. Uh, just a, uh, a sense of background. The Democrats held the majority in the Virginia House until 2021 when Glenn Youngkin came into office, or really came into office in 2022. But uh, they, uh, they, the Republicans, have had the majority ever since. And so the Democrats are trying to get the majority back in 2023 for the 2024 session. I'm going to cut this off when we start talking about Senate races because we are going to reserve a special episode just for the Senate races. Everybody enjoy. Black Virginia News is sponsored by Virginia Nation Tees. Visit Virginia Nation Tees at Etsy.com. And we started out with House District 97, which is Democrat Michael Fagans versus Republican Karen Greenhall. You know, Michael Fagans is uh, a 20-year retired Air Force Master Sergeant, um, small business owner in cybersecurity, you know, challenging, uh, challenging Karen Greenhall in his race. Now, this is the district in House District 97 that Joe Biden won uh, by 55% in 2020. Elaine Loria won by 53% in 2022 and glenn youngkin won by 51 percent in uh 20 in 2021 so with with that is kind of like the background this is a this is a swing district i think uh vpat recently reclassified the district as like a d plus 1.5 so if you kind of look at the youngkin number and the, and the laurier number that's right kind of in the sweet spot uh 
of where that district could be. I, I think the key thing about House District 97 is going to be the ability of the campaigns to turn out their voters. Uh, obviously, when you look at the Biden number and the Loria number, uh, that uh, Michael Fagans has more flexibility and more room to grow than I say Karen uh, Greenhall. And I kind of look at this race when, from the prism of 2021 when Greenhall ran against Alex Askew in the old HD 85 where she pulled out a narrow victory over him. And, and my theory is that if Fagans has the resources comparable to what, what Askew had in 21, that he should uh, prevail in that race, uh, you know, just given all the attention is going to get. And I think, and I also think too, we're in a post Dobbs environment, which has given extra uh, battery pack energy for democratic voters, base voters, swing voters, you know, just seeing the draconian lurch of the Republican party. So I think there's some, there's some wind behind Fagan's campaign sales that, you know, if everything is executed properly, he can leverage that and get that win. Maurice Hawkins is a Democratic political strategist and a veteran of numerous campaigns. He is based in Virginia Beach. The Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee did put out today their 17 Virginia Spotlight candidates, and of course, uh, Michael Fagan's is on there. Uh, and of course, that's a surprise to nobody. This, this is clearly going to be a fairly close race and one of the closer races in terms of the demographics of the district. DLCC does not have this race on their list, but I have this race on my list, which is HD82, Kim Pope Adams and Kim Taylor, uh, primarily because, uh, which is Petersburg, primarily because Kim Taylor is the incumbent sitting there. Kim Pope Adams is uh, challenging an incumbent. So I, I also see that on VPAP, they have this almost as an even, a slight lean red, but you know, I have a hard time believing that, but at any rate, <laughs> That that race should be pretty close, certainly a race that will decide the majority. Right. I think there's an opportunity for Kim Pope Adams, you know, to really connect with the base voters. I mean, I mean, she's definitely, if, I, if there was any candidate that had a Lazarus moment during the primary season, it was definitely Kimberly Pope Adams, you know, who basically said she wasn't running anymore because of uh, fundraising. And then now, you know, she won the primary and she's running that race. So, and that could be one of those surprise pickups for the Dems, you know, if she, you know, execute a ground game um, properly. And I think a lot of the things that we're seeing with these races, you know, because they're all new seats. So we don't really know how the, the elector is gonna behave in real time. You know, everything is based off what's happened in the past, but even in those races in the past, they they weren't the current uh, construct of those dist districts as they are, are now. So I think there's a good opportunity for Kimbo Pavins to, uh, you know, cross the finish line in that race. You know, if she can turn to, I mean, there is a bevy of democratic voters in that Petersburg area that simply need to be turned out. So, and I think if you have a good field operation, you know, you can get a narrow victory there as well. That's exactly right. And she clearly has a good field operation because she just won. I think, you know, under, you know, this seemed to be the idea that she was not the favored candidate in the primary and she won. So, I mean, I, I think there's definitely some field game there to say the least. Um, the next one I think we should focus on, as usual, HD65, Josh Cole. Josh Cole is always in close races. <laughs> Josh Cole and, and against the Republican Lee Peters. Uh, this is Stafford, uh, sort of the 95 corridor. Um, 
you know, needless to say, uh, this race is another DLCC pick. And this, this does lean to the Democrat a little bit. So maybe Josh Cole will get a break this, uh, this cycle and not have one of these, you know, losing or winning by 10 vote type scenarios. Because I think generally speaking, of course, he's a very good candidate. And a good yeah, I, I think the good thing about uh, that race, when you're looking at uh, Joshua Cole, like this guy is an experienced campaigner. I mean, he's ran tight races before. He won a tight race. He lost a tight race. And now here, here he is back at it again. And I would think that his experience as a candidate, you know, you know, getting that, that campaign rhythm down, connecting with the voters, you know, having, you know, I would say some degree of name ID because he's ran in that area before, you know, to be to his benefit. I, I, I think the interesting thing about these races, I don't think you're going to have the Yunkin effect that people are looking for. I think that whatever energy or juice or chutzpah, whatever you want to call it for Yunkin in 21, that is clearly dissipated. I mean, he has definitely retreated into, you know, a clearly partisan operator. Um, he, he, he's really has the, the, the aura of a carpetbagger type of figure where, you know, he just kind of landed in Virginia, won the governorship, and now he's trying to run for higher office. I mean, it seems like everything that Youngkin is trying to do is to leverage him for a higher run for president or whatever, what have you. And I think that that is going to imperil him, you know, in these races in the fall, because I think the Dems, the Dems are going to be on message as, you know, as one united force, you know, pushing for, you know, you know, defending choice, you know, making sure that we're fully funding public education, that we're, um, that we're, we're solid on job creation. And I think uh, Josh Cole, as a messenger, will be spot on in pushing that in that part of the Commonwealth. And Governor so. Youngkin does seem distracted to some degree. Uh, he is making a few stops. Like he was in um, Dumfries the other day. I mean, he makes stops around, but but not a whole lot of big, bad press focused on Virginia. Although yesterday he did, interestingly enough and ironically enough, focus on early voting, which was something, of course, the Republicans were against. And then right. course, suddenly we see this video pop up talking about, hey, Republicans, y'all need to be early voting. I mean, one of the most ironic moments that you can, I'm sure the Democrats are sitting there like, you can see from their Governor statements, they were, we're like, making Virginia the really? best place to live, work, and raise a family. And to take us to the next level, I need your early vote this year. We can't go into our elections down thousands of votes. You can secure your vote before election day. Join the permanent absentee list or make a plan to vote early by mail or in person. We've made it easy to do at secureyourvotevirginia.com. I thought what was interesting was uh, our guest on last week's uh, pod, uh, Lindley Thorne from uh, Rural Ground Game. She uh, quote tweeted the uh, Virginia Republican Party and she simply said, this you? and had a screen capture of Donald <laughs> Trump basically railing against early voting and, and espousing all of these horrible things about early voting. Former President Trump again say the election was rigged and talk about ballot stuffing. And look, the reality is the election was not rigged. Biden won by more than 7 million votes. And that ballot stuffing claim, that was also bogus. Here is Trump's false claim on this All of the people in this audience and maybe a couple that don't, but most people uh, understand what happened. It was a rigged election. And it's a shame that we had to go through it. Can you publicly acknowledge that you did lose the 2020 election? Let me, let me just go on. If you look at True the Vote, they found millions of votes on camera, on government cameras, where uh, they were stuffing ballot boxes. So with all of that, I think it's a shame that what happened. And I, I think, think that's the challenge for, for Youngkin, is that how do you reorient 
a Republican Party that views early voting with such skepticism. And I also think there are a lot of Republican voters that simply are going to, you know, stick to their normal political behavior and vote on election day. And then the third piece of that is that you can get people to early vote, but are you cannibalizing votes that you would only get on election day? It's not about getting people to vote early. It's about, are you getting new people to vote at all? And that's going to be the big question. And I think that when you don't, you know, when you have what I really figure is an uninspiring political figure in Virginia politics right now, I don't know if people, gonna, Republicans are going to be fired up because right now on the messaging front, they're clearly on defense on nationwide. Well, the Youngkin message yesterday had me thinking they may have seen something in their metrics during the primary that told them that they weren't getting some early voting push. I'm not sure what that would have been, but right. they, they, the fact that they, you know, have done in a complete about face. I mean, this party was completely against any of that stuff. Right. Early voting, obviously, uh, Dropbox, anything, anything that would make voting easier. That has generally been, uh, to say the least, the platform of the Republican Party is to make it more difficult to vote. And now all of a sudden, Glenn Youngkin is out here talking about early voting. So it's a very interesting moment, to say the least. It's also a disingenuous proposal that Youngkin's putting out here because everybody knows that if the Republicans are able to take control of the House and the Senate, and he has a trifecta, that they are going to put forth legislation to eliminate early voting or significantly reduce early voting to make it more difficult for Democratic voters to to vote and win elections. So the fact that they are, in my estimation, being disingenuous and promoting early voting now with you know, the specter of scaling back early voting if they take control of both chambers of the General Assembly, you know, is really diabolical in my book. So we'll have to see how that plays out. But I think, again, you know, will that message resonate with Republican voters where they want to vote early when they customarily like to vote on Election Day? This is the podcast for Black Virginia News, the first and only platform that covers all of Black Virginia. HD 89, Karen Jenkins versus Republican Baxter Ennis, which is Suffolk. Uh, that, that seat is, and Karen Jenkins, uh, who's on the school board, is the wife of Clint Jenkins, which, by the way, Clint Jenkins is running for Senate. Uh, this is the old seat of Emily Brewer, who's running for Senate against Clint Jenkins. That is leaning a little bit red. Um, and I, you know, but still a very close seat. And that is probably going to be a very close race. Yeah, I think that's going to be a very close race as well. I mean, that's truly, you know, I think that's toss up territory. Uh, you know, I definitely think that Karen Jenkins has a work cut out for her. You know, if she's going to prevail in that race, I, I, you know, hope you would hope that her, um, her, her name ID, you know, being a school board member and, you know, being the wife of Clint Jenkins and being a known quantity in Suffolk politics will resonate with the voters where they'll come out in strong numbers for her to to win that race. I mean, Suffolk has the capability to really, the city of Suffolk and the, and the amount of Democratic voters that live in that city have the capability to flip that race in Jenkins' favor. But, you know, once again, it's going to be about her ability to turn those voters out and how and what's their appetite uh, for this electoral season uh hd21 uh josh thomas uh, a marine veteran versus john stirrup who is a republican this is another dlcc pick uh i have no details one way or the other on this race other than the very general thing that i just read on the dlcc site but when you look at everything about the demographics of that district it's got toss-up written all over it. Right. And, and, and the other thing, too, like, 
you know, when, you know, we love to run our, you know, our retired and, and veteran candidates, you know, just having that specter of patriotism, you know, that definitely gives a little juice to the candidate from the biographical standpoint. So I think if Thomas is able to resonate with the voters, you know, talking about his experiences in the military, talking about what he wants to do for the community um, to move it forward, you know, he's got a puncher's shot of getting through that race. So yeah, I, I, th- I think right now, I think this is going to be about energy and who has energy right now. And I mean, and just in some of the things that I've been seeing from the Dems, there, there does seem to be some energy on the Democratic side behind their candidates. Uh, they, they do seem to be a little focused, a little fired up. I mean, I think there's some payback that Democrats want to get on the General Assembly for what happened in 2021. Like, I think there's okay. there's an edge uh, through party circles. You know, I mean, quite, I mean, quite frankly, they don't like Youngkin. Uh, you know, I, not to say that they're like any Republican, but there's really something about Youngkin that they find distasteful. And I don't see him as this figure that really motivates Republican voters. You know, he's like, because he's, you know, he's, I mean, he's, you know, when you think about like, some of these other Republican figures like Donald Trump or you or Ron DeSantis or even like a Chris Christie. I mean, they have a blunt in your face, combative, pugilistic style to them. Youngkin always seems like he's trying to speak out of both sides of his mouth and sound reasonable while being extreme at the same time. And I just think that's a turnoff for clearly a turnoff for Democratic voters. But I think it's confusing for Republican voters where they're trying to wonder well, if he's really hardcore, hard right, or is he trying to be like some moderate or, or you know, appeasement guy. So we'll have to see how that plays out. I mean, he has a lot of money. He has access to a lot of resources. And one of the main reasons why he won in 21, but as, as an inspirational firebrand of a candidate, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, we'll have to see. Yeah. You know, as somebody who went to his rallies in 2021, I was really surprised at how tight their game was. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that team, it was like a presidential level production. And I have covered, you know, John McCain and mm-hmm. Mitt Romney and Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. And I've seen what a presidential level outfit looks like with mm-hmm. the with the things coming out of everybody ear, everybody's ear and right. everybody running around coordinated. I was really actually surprised at that for somebody who was a first time, you know, candidate who'd never served in government before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and having said that, are we going to see a return to that level of organization? I tend to doubt it, right. but you never know. He is showing up, you know, he's showing up every now and then for for candidates and let's see how he turns it on if he turns it on toward the end of the year i think he's frankly planning to run for president uh so there's a lot of uh activity i think going on with him that is pointed toward that but we wouldn't know that until the end of the and year that's a, number. and that's a big lift for somebody that you know you're trying to flip your state legislature uh both chambers while simultaneously trying to you know potentially launch a presidential run like that's a heavy lift for anybody you know, and, and and it's not like you're doing it in a state like Florida or Mississippi or Alabama, you know, or, you know, which, which are ruby red, you know, states, you know, this is Virginia, Virginia, at best is a purple, light blue to blue state, you know, I think that's why he's seen so much resistance since he's been governor, you know, so for you to try to have your, you know, you know, have your hand in two different cookie jars, you know, something's going to give and something's going to miss. And I think when you look at the leadership on the Democratic side, you know, in the House with Don Scott, and he's focused, focused like a laser and flipping the House blue. And between Mamie Locke 
and and Louise Lucas, they are definitely focused like lasers to protect that Senate majority and all of the trappings that will come with being in the majority. You know, he has some formidable opponents that know the game, that know Commonwealth politics. So he's going to be into in, in, a, in a in a serious battle uh, with these powerful figures on the Democratic side, mobilizing their forces to, you know, flip these legislatures and protect the legislature. Follow Black Virginia News on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Black Virginia News and on TikTok and Twitter at Black Virginia News. Send comments and tips to News at gmail.com. Lauren Victoria Burke is a member of investigative reporters and editors, NABJ, and the Ida B. Wells Society. Miss Burke has appeared on CNN and MSNBC and appears regularly on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Susanna Gibson, a nurse, and uh, the Democrat, versus David Owen. This is a short pump outside of Richmond, but not including Ashland. Uh, and I, you know, this is another really close one. And when I talk to people who live down there, there's a lot of folks that live in that area who have worked in Virginia or do work in Virginia government. Um, they're saying that it's been a fairly quiet race so far, but once again, the DLCC has this race on their list, which they should, there's going to, there's a very close seat. I think that the benefit for the, the, uh, HD 57 with Gibson as the democratic party standard bearer is the fact that she's a healthcare professional, but she's a nurse practitioner. So her rhetorical fluency around issues as it relates to reproductive health is gonna be spot on. I think she's gonna be an effective messenger, you know, and especially in that suburban area where they have been drifting away from the Republican party for several years now, you know, going back to Trump's term in the White House. And, you know, all we're seeing, you know, from the Republicans is doubling down and tripling down the culture wars, doubling down, tripling down, on uh, these abortion bans, you know, pretty much every Republican to a man and a woman has sworn an oath to support the 15-week abortion um, ban in Virginia. Uh, you know, that is definitely a line of demarcation in our politics. And I think having someone like Gibson, you know, a suburban woman who has a robust medical background, she will be a powerful, you know, advocate for reproductive health and I think an effective messenger. And I think that if she connects the dots with her messaging along with her, you know, field apparatus, you know, she's a puncher's chance of, of pulling that out as well. Yes, indeed. So uh, HD 86 is not a DLCC spotlighted race, but I'm gonna put it on my list. Uh, HD 86 is Jairus Taylor versus Republican AC Cardozo. Now, I don't understand how this is not a race that the Democrats are looking at because, um, you know, you do have the fact that uh, there's a lot of black folks in that area to say the least. Jairus Taylor is a first time, uh, you know, candidate. AC Cardoza is the technical incumbent, but he's in a different, he's in a different district. Um, so I'm not yeah, sure why a, he, that's not yeah, a thing. Cardoza is in a different district, number one. I said number two, uh, I think that he definitely pulled the wool over a lot of people's eyes in 21, where he, you know, he, you know, he, uh, he, he pulled the inside straight to get that victory over uh, Martha Mugler. 
um, in 21, but now he's running against another black man that's clearly a Democrat. Uh, you know, Jared Taylor is an accomplished man. You know, he, he's done a lot of work in academia. He's also a veteran of the United States Air Force. Uh, he has a lot of roots in, within the Hampton University community. Uh, he's also my fraternity brother, so shout out to Alpha Phi Fraternity Incorporated. Um, so I, I think that, yes, Jarris is a first-time candidate, but I know Jarris personally. He's smart. He's tenacious. He's formidable. He's very strategic. Uh, and I think there are a lot of Hampton Democratic politicos in his orbit that have ran races before that will help him get across the finish line. He'll definitely have enough surrogates from the Democratic apparatus in the, in the city of Hampton behind his campaign. And they, and I've had conversations with them. They are very focused on taking Cardoza out. They do not want him as their um, elected official. And I think that, you know, the change up in that district, I think, you know, uh, they have it as a, a tight race, but I think um, they feel very confident that they can flip that seat and, uh, and get Jarris in Richmond. Yeah, I'm hearing, I'm hearing the same as well. It's going to be a very interesting uh, set of races. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of campaign events coming up for Taylor, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, HD 41 uh, out in Southwest, uh, Lily Franklin, uh, one of the youngest candidates on the ballot, uh, the Democrat, versus Chris Obenshane. Uh, I'm sure he's related to Mark Obenshane, the Virginia State Senator. I don't know whether this is his son or not. I got to check that. But this race is not, it is on DLC's, uh, DLCC's list, but when you look at VPAP's uh, mapping of the of this uh, seat, it's sort of leaning red, mm -hmm. leaning more red than I think it perhaps should be. But Lily Franklin has been a very, very uh, energetic campaigner. <laughs> and, right. and somebody that, if somebody's going to pull it off in Southwest, I would predict it would be her. You, you know, one of the things that I find interesting about the candidates that are running, you know, in the Southwest portion of the Commonwealth, which is one of the, some of the most rural areas of the Commonwealth, is that you have these young candidates running for these offices, you know, with Lily Franklin in this race. You know, we spoke with Jade Harris last week in that race. And I think what you're really seeing is seeing the folks that are invested in ensuring that we have Democratic representation at these um, state level um, elected positions and they're getting in the game early. And in, even if they don't prevail, that they are not going to go anywhere, that they're gonna to continue to work hard and fight because they're passionate about moving their communities forward. And I think if you have someone like a Lily Franklin, you know, going up against Obenshane, and and I'm, I'm pretty sure he's related to the Obenshane uh, family. There's no way having right. that name, he's just Absolutely. like a complete stranger. You know? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so he will have, you know, a lot of resources at his disposal, you know, because that's a very formidable name in that part of the state. But again, at a certain at a certain time, we're going to start taking out some of these Goli Republican Goliaths in these in these rural areas. We we got to start this year. So you know, really hope wishing uh, Franklin good luck in her run, and hopefully she can find a way to you know squeak out a victory. Yeah, you know, she's leading him right now in in money. That of course will change. Yeah, uh, about fifty thousand bucks. Uh, what you learn mm -hmm. though too is that money is not necessarily an indicator of anything. Um, although no. I, I know a lot of people think that, but then when you go back and look, you you, you see so many candidates who win that don't have that didn't raise. Uh, well, the well top Karen Keys Gamara, she won her right. uh, primary, exactly. and she was not doing well in fundraising in relation to her exactly. opponent. So that's true. Exactly. Exactly right. Or let's look at HD eighty four Nadarius Clark uh, versus Michael Dillinger. Uh, you know, I, I think Darius is like a, a force onto himself. Uh, yes. This is the uh, seat that leans blue. 
I think even if it didn't lean blue, I'm, uh, he's he's becoming somebody who I would never bet against. <laughs> okay, because every time I see Darius Clark, he's working his ass off. He is doing stuff. He is connected in the community, and I would never bet against him. The thing about Nadarius Clark, if there's you know an adage to someone being a political athlete, it's Nadarius Clark. I mean, the guy's young, he's smart, he's hardworking, he's right. well funded, he has a lot of support. He knows the issues like in the back of his hand. I mean, not only is, you know, has he he's been successful, he's really focused on bringing more young people into these corridors of power. And I think that's a message that resonates strongly in that community. And I think he's gonna do well and I think he's gonna prevail. And I think, and, and, and it also goes to candidate quality, right? And I just think that Nadarius is a quality candidate. Um, you know, he took out, you know, uh, um, I think Steve Herford a couple years ago in that mm -hmm. primary in 21 and he's just been a rising story ever since so you know I think he will do well in this race and I think he's someone you want to look out for in the um, the short future um, as far as being a, a you know a major player in uh, Virginia politics for years to come yeah exactly exactly um, the last one for the house HD 94 Phil Hernandez, which by the way, I'm not sure what, he is on their list, he's on everybody's list, but I say that this leans blue pretty well. Phil Hernandez uh, versus Andy Pittman, the Republican. So I'm not sure why, I, maybe it's just that it's sort of an open new seat and people are just looking at it. Uh, when I look at the demographics of the seat though, I would be surprised if the Democrat lost that. Yeah, Phil Hernandez, I mean, he ran in 21 in the, in the old 100s against Rob Bloxham you know, lost a tough race to him. He's back again in a much, much, much more favorable seat um, than he ran in two years ago. Uh, Phil's, you know, he's an attorney, smart guy, and he definitely has connections to Obama world. Um, you know, he'll be a, a prolific fundraiser. He'll have all the resources. He has a really good team around him, an experienced team. He has some, um, he has some uh, Laurie alumni working with him, so they are some pros. So I think that he's going to do very well in his race, and 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 Phil's a, a overall good guy. You know, like if you ever have an opportunity to meet Phil, he's very affable, very humble, but very smart. Knows policy like the back of his hand. Uh, he will definitely be someone that will get a lot of things done on the policy front in Richmond. So you know, good luck to him in his race. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would note too, um, as we wrap the house races, is that. Uh, we should talk a little bit about HD 99, which is Cat Porterfield and Ann Tata. I, I'm sure that, you know, most prognosticators would have this as a lean red, but <laughs> I think we should talk about it anyway, because in a year where you have predictably low turnout with no governor, uh, uh, no statewides on the top of the, of the ticket, you never know what can happen. And I can see that Cat Porterfield is out there hustling. So I'm sort of wanting to talk about that a little bit yeah i think the thing about uh porterfield is she's a she's a she's a spitfire i mean she's you know she's very savvy in in the digital space i mean she's a prolific writer in daily costs i mean she had her own podcast she she has a nice network of people um, supporting her and surrounding her i mean she's going to take the fight to tata like this is not she's not going to back down to tata one iota um so you know i know tata is part of that um that tata machine 
um, and, she, and she has a lot of support within the Republican Party, and she's a she's no slouch herself. But I think that if you're looking for a race that's going to have some fireworks, uh, where the, <laughs> the, the, where the uh, candidates are going to go at each other's throat, uh, is definitely uh, House District 99. So, and I wish Kat good luck in her race and everything. I mean, she's going to hold Tata accountable for holding some very very draconian policies. She, uh, Porterfield makes no apologies for calling people out for supporting bad policy that's a detriment to our our city, our commonwealth, and our country. So uh, I think that she's going to do some some serious work in that race. I mean, it's a tough fight. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, you know, blow smoke up anybody's tailpipe on that one. But mm-hmm. I think that she's going to definitely take the fight to Tata. And that's it for now. Just a quick and dirty of 12 uh, House races in Virginia for the Virginia House of Delegates. That will likely decide the majority in the Virginia House of Delegates next session in 2024. This is episode 12 of the Black Virginia News Podcast. This is Lauren Burke. Until next time. Support for Black Virginia News comes from our subscribers, and we really appreciate your support. Subscribe to Black Virginia News at blackvirginianews.substack.com. Thank you for listening to Black Virginia News. The podcast for Black Virginia News is a product of Wynn Digital Media and is produced by the team at WDM LLC.